I don't normally get nervous when I preach, and I'm not nervous this morning, but I feel, a, I think because of the text, a sense of the weightiness of God's Word. And so I want to pray for us before we jump in. Father, we know that your Word is living and active. It's alive. It has power like a two-edged sword to pierce our hearts and to change our lives. And Father, we want to come this morning trembling at your word, the eternal word of the infinite God spoken to us. I pray, Lord, have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know what the most important part of our faith is? That one thing that if you take it away, Christianity does not exist. Jesus Christ. He is the center, he is the source, he is everything. And we're going to jump in and look at the gospel of John this morning. We're going to start in verse 1. The gospel of John, it was the last of the four gospels written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's quite different to the other gospels. If you've read all four of them, you'll notice the, the subject matter that John looks at is very different to what the other three look at. And uh, the clever people, the scholars say that Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those gospels were in circulation in the early church and John had access to them. And then he wrote his gospel adding things that the other guys didn't put in. That's why it looks very different, right? Not because it was added by some Roman Catholic dude to try and whatever weird theory some people have. So there are a lot of significant events in the life of Jesus that John doesn't look at because the other three Gospels do cover very detailed. You won't find the birth of Jesus in the book of John. You won't find the baptism of Jesus in the book of John. You won't find his temptation. You won't find him debating and arguing and casting out demons in the book of John. It doesn't happen. You don't find him teaching in parables in the book of John. You don't see the Last Supper You don't see his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. You don't see his ascension. It's just very different material. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they look at Jesus' ministry centered around Galilee. A lot of his teaching and his miracles happened in the Galilee area. John looks at what Jesus did and said in Jerusalem. So the location of the Gospels is different. And each one of the Gospels seems to emphasize a different kind of aspect of who Jesus is and his origin. So Matthew shows that Jesus came through David, through Abraham. He was the Messiah testified by the Old Testament prophets. Mark shows that Jesus came from, I'm going to get this right, from Nazareth. And his gospel shows that he was a servant. Luke shows that he came from Adam and was thus the perfect man. But John shows that Jesus came from heaven and that he was from God. It's a different aspect. They're all right, but John shows a different aspect. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. That literally means to see together. They're very similar. They're written in a very similar format. And they present the life of Jesus in a a similar kind of way. And they focus on what Jesus taught and did Jesus went around preaching the kingdom, you read in the book of Matthew and Luke. So they focus on what Jesus taught and did. John focuses on who Jesus is 
primarily. Okay? We've got to read all the Gospels because we're living in God's kingdom. We need to understand what this kingdom is about. That's why we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But John shows us who Jesus is in a greater kind of detail. He does it in two ways. He gives us seven signs or seven miracles. Six of them are unique to John. Only one is in the other Gospels showing who Jesus was. They're signs of what he's doing and who he is. He also shows who Jesus is through what Jesus said. They are the I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the living water. Seven of those, they're unique to the gospel of John. Shows us who Jesus said he was. And John was written for a very specific purpose. And the second to last chapter John kind of tells us, as we get to the end of the book, why he wrote the Gospel of John. It says this in John 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that's the reason, I guess, John wrote this Gospel. Interestingly, the oldest surviving part of the New Testament Dates from about 125 AD. It's part of John chapter 18. And that shows us that this gospel was widely circulated. That particular fragment was found in Egypt, AD 125. In other words, it was well known, well distributed in the early church. John doesn't uh, speak too much about himself in the gospel. He speaks about Jesus, which is good. But if you look at the other gospels, you can get a picture of who John is. His dad was Zebedee the fisherman. His mother was Salome. His brother was James. And the two of them, they were like, they weren't thick as thieves because that expression wasn't around, but they were called the sons of thunder. I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, John was a partner with Peter in a fishing business, and he was the beloved disciple who rested his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. This is John who wrote this gospel. And for many people, I guess, this gospel is a very special gospel because it kind of combines very simple concepts alongside very deep concepts. So someone once said that John is a gospel, it's like a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. In other words, children can get it. It's simple. But there's such depths and staggering riches to what he talks about that will never get to the end of, of the, the understanding of who God is. So there's a paradox in the concepts that he presents. So let's jump in. John chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses today. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him... All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's some really big themes if you just look at that short passage. John is saying that Jesus, that's the topic, the subject of what he's writing about, Jesus is a very special person. He's a very extraordinary person. He's like no one else we've ever known. In fact, he gives Jesus a very special title that no one else does, the word, Logos. In other words, John is saying that Jesus is the word of God. He is, 
He is God's revelation. He is how God communicates, how He reveals Himself, how He relates to mankind is through Jesus, the Word of God. Jesus even said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's the way that God reveals Himself through the Word, through Jesus. We see that Jesus is distinct from God, yet He's divine. He is God, but they're not one. They're two entities. He's it's like weird. It's hard to figure out. I don't get it. I'm just saying what the Bible says. <laughs> he's both God and separate from God. He's eternal. In other words, he existed before anything happened, any creation. He's involved in creation, one of the agents of creation. And he's the giver of life and light, the biological sense and the spiritual sense. We could spend hours looking at those things. But I've got three big ideas this morning Firstly, creation and everything else we see and experience originated from God. Everything we see, everything we experience, creation, nature, life, whatever, it originated in God. This is what this passage is teaching. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they open with the birth of Jesus or the baptism of Jesus. But John starts at the beginning of time. He refers back to Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So he takes us all the way back and linking creation of God to this new creation that Jesus is going to bring. There's like a link there. And we see that right in the beginning, God's power, God did it. His power was at work to bring it about. And so we see that Jesus And the Father share in this work of creation. Genesis 1, we see God created, the Spirit was hovering, and now we see the rest of the Trinity, Jesus, involved in creation. The Trinity is involved in making creation, making everything we see. And so because of that, creation was no accident. It was on purpose. It was deliberate. God did it intentionally. It wasn't a... Oh, what happened over there? Well, look, there's planet Earth. I didn't see that coming. It didn't happen. God made, He created on purpose. It was no accident. That means, friends, that you and I are no accident. You and I are no accident. We don't know all the details of how God made it. It might have been a few days. It might have been a few billion years. We don't know for sure, right? But God made it. God made it. And we should be very grateful for everything we have in life. I'm going to rattle off a few here. Um, I love eating food. I just, I love food. So I often thank God for taste. Imagine everything tasted the same. Well, if you watch the Matrix movie, it all tastes like chicken, right? <laughs> Imagine everything tasted the same. That'd be so boring. We should thank God for taste. For sight, for hearing, for touch, for smell, for laughter, for fun, for adventure, for love, the ability to think and understand concepts. That's unique to humans. Art, music, literature, science, architecture, nature, mountains. Uh, Candace and I have just been away for five days. We did a five-day hike uh, down in the Titicama Forest. It's called the Otter Trail. And I, once or twice, I would walk at the back. There were 12 of us, right at the back, where no one could hear me praying and thanking God. Now, I'm not at the back because I'm slow. Just, uh, I want to say, I was, I was spending time with God. <laughs> That's what I told myself, anyway. 
But thanking God for the mountains and the forest and the ocean, we should thank Him for these things. He made planet Earth for His image bearers, that's you and I, to enjoy, to have fun with, to discover, to look after conservation, green, sustainable. We've got to look after planet Earth. We have one of them only. But to tame it, to build it, to cultivate it, to bring the best out of it through technology, inventions, all these kinds of things that, that humans are doing. So John says that all things were made by him. And Paul echoes this in Colossians chapter 1. He says, for in him all things were created, in Jesus, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. So in other words, if, if all things were created through Jesus, right, then he has total power to be our savior. In other words, nothing can take us, nothing that you can ever think of or things you can't think of can take you out of his hand because everything that is is something he made. He's creator. He has, we, we couldn't get a greater or better savior than the one who made everything. Think about that. Second big idea this morning, second point, is that Christ must be our source. John writes these, he says, in him, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. And he's not just talking about biological life. We can breathe, our cells are what, respiring and, and doing all that stuff with oxygen and CO2. But the whole concept or the principle of life itself, he's the source of all life, of biological life, firstly, but he's also the source of our spiritual life. And firstly, our salvation. The Bible says we were dead in our sins, but he makes us alive. So when we put our faith in Jesus, we are born again, the Bible says. We're made alive. That initial life giving, he's the source of that, our salvation. But he's also the source of the life that we need to keep living every day, right? The Bible says we are saved by our faith. Would you agree? We don't do anything to become a child of God. We put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. So we are saved by faith, but the Bible also says we should live by faith. In other words, the life that God gives us must continue, not just from when we're born again, but we need more of His life every day. Who of you here arrived in a car this morning and your car's parked outside, okay? Your car now, as it stands there, is dead. It's lifeless. Nothing's happening, all right? You put the, it's, it's dead in its sins. Let's use that as an example. I can see this is going to work out badly for me. <laughs> but you go get in the car after the service, and you turn the engine, and suddenly it's alive. It's born again. Okay, we only get born again once. You can't get born again again. So, just, so work with, the, yeah. It doesn't get born again every morning, okay? Just, there's some limitations to this parable. <laughs> You turn it on, it's alive. You want to go anywhere, you need petrol or diesel. You know, you fill it up once a week or once a month, but everywhere it goes, it uses fuel. 
It's the same with us. God makes us alive when you're born again, but we need his life if we're going to do anything of substance on this earth. He is the source of our life. Car was designed to run on fuel. We're designed to run on the life of God. And he is the source of that life. So let me ask you, where do you go when you're running out of strength? Where do you go when you need inspiration? Where do you go when you need help, when you need love, when you need peace, dot, dot, dot? Where do you go? I know that I need to be filled with love if I'm going to be a good husband. I've got a limited amount of, in my love tank. And when it's gone, it's gone. And Candace knows when it's gone. <laughs> Shame. Poor lady. <laughs> but I need to be filled up if I'm going to be a good dad, if I'm going to be a good friend or a good worker in my workplace or whatever. I need to be refilled and replenished if I'm going to give out in any measure. I can't rely on Candace to make me love her. You know, when she's loving and kind and speaks nicely to me and makes tea in the morning, then I feel loved, I'm able to love her. I can't rely on her because she's human. She's finite. She's limited. She gets tired. She takes power naps. (laughs) That's true. She's really good at power naps. I shouldn't talk about her when she's not here. Hey. Now's my chance. <laughs> no, but she, honestly, she's gifted. Eh? <laughs> and, uh, anyway. <laughs> it's not sustainable if I rely on her to make me feel like loving her. Not sustainable. I can't rely on my circumstances to put me in the right frame of mind so that when I get to the office on Monday morning, I feel like working hard and I feel like having integrity and I feel like doing what my boss says. I can't rely on external things for that motivation. I can't live my life based on my emotions, which are subject to whatever happens around me. I need a source of life and grace and peace and power and love that'll never run out. And that is found in Christ, John is telling us. Anything else we try and fill the tank with, whatever tank you're thinking of now, whatever else you try and fill it with is a counterfeit, it's an imposter, it can neither satisfy nor sustain. Anything else but Christ, if you're looking to that thing, can neither satisfy you nor sustain you. It's in Christ that we have living water, that we have the bread of life, that we go to His throne of grace when we need help in a time of need. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the living word, John says. And we need to go to access his life, we go to God himself. In his written word, we're reading the Bible this morning, we have to go to the Bible if we're gonna get this life, the word of God. Reading God's word and meditating on it is one of the ways that we have a relationship with God. It's the means of getting God's supply into our life. Not a legalistic thing, I have to read the Bible every day, No, it's the way that God's life flows through His Word. And we meditate on it 
and it changes us. Also, that can happen through prayer, through worship, through being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these are ways, the vehicle through which God's life comes to us to sustain us. God's, the Bible says He pours His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So friends, have you been and have I been looking to other things besides Christ as our source in different areas of our life? I can promise you they're going to leave you hollow and empty. I've tried it. Charles Spurgeon has this wonderful quote. He says, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. And then my third point this morning is that Christ's light will triumph. This is what John writes. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, Jesus, this gives me great comfort, Jesus is at work. He's at work. The light is shining in the darkness right now. He is at work. He's busy. God's not sitting in heaven twiddling his thumbs. He's not reading the Sunday paper with his legs crossed. He's not bored and tired of humanity. He is at work. Here, the light is shining in the darkness. Make no mistake, friends. He is shining his light. He's dispelling darkness. He's bringing life and truth, spiritual light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Sure, the devil and his demons, they're busy with all their dark deeds, trying to wreak havoc, trying to cause chaos. John chapter 10, the devil comes to rob and kill and destroy. He's not a nice guy. But he comes very subtly, comes to offer us false solutions to our problem, fake savior, functional gods. Oh, if my body would look like that, then he would like me again. It's a fake savior to get you out of that hell of what you're feeling like. But friends, Christ's light is going to triumph because the darkness has not overcome it. So Christ is victorious, and we know one day the end of the story or the beginning of the rest of eternity, however you look at it. Book of Revelation says, one day Jesus will bind the devil and his demons and chuck them into the lake of fire. He came, he said, also in the book of John, to destroy the works of the devil. And did you know that God wants to shine his light into your life? You know that we all have dark corners in our life. If you walk into my home, Many of you have been there. Um, we've got, I was counting this morning, one, two, three, four, and the front door. Five windows and a set of stacking doors. Six windows. It's a very light room, okay? Furniture's light. But if you go behind the couch, there's darkness. And because I've got three kids, there's also other things there. <laughs> Last year's Smarty and the toy they can't find and the hairband and all the other stuff, right? Hiding in the darkness. Um, we've got a, a, a thing, a, a sideboard, like a very old sideboard we've got. But it's dark inside because it's got doors on it. And the same can happen in our spiritual lives where we invite Jesus in. He's the light. We're born again. We're saved. He shines his light. There's spiritual truth. But we haven't given him all the corners of the house. <laughs> we, we've let him into the living room, but not into that room. 
There's maybe skeletons in the closet if you want to think of that kind of phrase. We're operating in darkness. That part of our lives is not under His authority. We're running it. And He shines His light through His Word. So when you're reading God's Word and you're meditating on it, the light shines in the darkness. You, didn't, you might not know you have a dark corner, or you might be hiding it on purpose because you don't want them to have a look there, right? Sometimes we're embarrassed about our stuff. But when we read His Word and we meditate on it, like He shines His light. So you might be reading about, let's say, the baptism of Jesus. And then suddenly there's like this thought, oh, maybe I need to get baptized. It's like that's God shining His light through His Word into your heart. I don't know who that's for this morning. You might need to get baptized. That's God shining His light right now. It happens when we read the Bible. You might hear a sermon and God shines His light in that particular area, like He puts His finger on that thing. It might not even be what the preacher was preaching about, but you know God's got your attention on something. And he's like, oh, that's, He's putting His finger on something. Sometimes it can happen through another Christian. Maybe you're a leader or someone in your life group challenges you lovingly on something. And that's God's light shining in the darkness. That's maybe in the corner of your living room. And when that happens, it's like when He shines His light, we suddenly see, oh, that's God's way for doing that thing. That's God's pattern. That's His word. That's His truth for living that part of life correctly in His kingdom. And the moment that we start to change, because we have a choice, when He shines His light, we have a choice to let Him reform that part of our life, or we can just close the cupboard and it can stay dark, right? That's up to you and I. But He shines His light nonetheless, and when we do say, Lord, let your light come, I want to change this part of my life, the moment we start implementing God's pattern for that thing, it's like the life of God flows. The wholeness of God flows, the fruit of God flows, because you're doing it according to His ways. I don't think we realize that we are simultaneously living in, in two realms. Not, uh, we're living in two kind of kingdoms at the same time. We're in the kingdom of this world. We were born, we're born sinful, the Bible teaches. And we grow up in the world and we learn how the world works and and. We're in the kingdom of darkness, that's what the Bible says. But the moment we put our faith in Christ, it says we're taken into the kingdom of light immediately. But, but we're still living, we're still alive, we're not in heaven. And so we're living among unsaved people. We're not of the world, but we're still in the world. But we're also in the kingdom of God, and we're also in the world. And so on worship night, it's amazing. Wow, the kingdom is here. How amazing was the worship this morning? This is the overflow from Friday night. Monday morning, we're like, oh, kingdom of darkness again. My boss. No, no, I didn't say that. Not your, not your boss, not my boss. <laughs> and in the kingdom of darkness, we learn how the world lives. It's the devil's system. We live for ourselves. It's me, myself. It's selfish. Whatever I want to do, whatever gender your kid wants to be, they can be that. Dot, dot, dot. Just think of anything in the news. Kingdom of darkness. But then there's the kingdom of light, God's kingdom, that I'm also in because I'm born again. But there's a different king. 
It's no longer me figuring out how I want to live my life for myself. All of a sudden, I'm in a kingdom where, where Jesus is king. And that's very different, right? He's the Lord. And things, they work very differently in this kingdom than how they work in this kingdom. I don't know if you've noticed. If you've been a Christian for more than a few months, you'll realize these kingdoms aren't friendly kingdoms. There's no peace treaty. There's no free trade agreement. They're opposed. And so what, the trouble that we have is that we're, we're in God's kingdom, that we've got some darkness patterns that are not part of his kingdom, and we're trying to live out our lives, loving God, reading his word, but some of the stuff we're doing is the wrong pattern. It's from the kingdom of darkness. And life gets very messy when that happens. In the kingdom of darkness, if he doesn't make me happy, or I fall out of love with her, well, we'll just divorce, try again. Anyone here like rock and roll? Love rock and roll. You hear that this week, one of the pioneers of rock and roll, Jerry Lee Lewis, he died. Hear about that? The guy who sang, goodness gracious, great balls of fire, that guy, right? He died age 87, married to his seventh wife. Okay? Kingdom of darkness. I, I, I don't know if he was a Christian, but I'm just saying, it's kingdom of darkness stuff. In the kingdom of light, though, marriage is a covenant where I promise to love my wife irrespective of how I feel. Or how she treats me. Obviously, abuse and those weird things not, not included here. But I made a promise to Candace 13 and a half years ago to have and to hold, to love and to cherish in sickness and in health for good, better, for worse, all those things until we die. Not based on, oh, when Candace can make Glendon feel happy, then he will love her back. No, it's a covenant. It's not dependent on how I feel. It's not dependent on getting gray hair or wrinkles or growing love handles. It doesn't depend on those things. Made a covenant to love her. That's the kingdom of light version of marriage. In the kingdom of darkness, sexuality is whatever you want it to be. Sex is your right. You can explore. You don't have to, you don't have to get married. You can live with your boyfriend. You can have a fling on the side. You can flirt with whoever. But in God's kingdom, sex is a gift. It's holy. It's sacred. It's for within marriage. The kingdom of darkness, finances are all about, I'm not talking to you guys because you're in the kingdom of darkness. I'm just, <laughs> and then you guys are like in the, <laughs> and you guys are on the fence here. It's like, whew. I'm, I'm just trying to paint, like, you know what I mean? Okay, you got it. <laughs> I'm going to stand here and look here. <laughs> In the kingdom of darkness, finances are all about how much I can get, how much I can save for my retirement and a holiday home and plate and whatever. And those things aren't wrong. God wants to bless us and we enjoy what he's given us, absolutely. But when money and wealth and the pursuit of it becomes our God, becomes an idol, that's when it's kingdom of darkness stuff. The kingdom of God, kingdom of light, we spoke about this a few weeks ago about our finances, but it's all about faith and generosity and living selfish, selflessly, very different. In the kingdom of darkness, my, 
my value, my worth, my significance depends on what I look like, how much I can bench press, what brand clothing I'm wearing, what car I'm driving, what I do for a living, how much is in my bank. That's what defines the value of someone living in the worldly systems. The kingdom of God is very different because our value, our significance is based on the fact that we're adopted as his children. Not that we've earned it by our good stuff to be a child. He's adopted us because of what Christ has done on the cross. And our, our, our significance, what we can contribute to planet Earth, depends not on what my clever ideas, right, but on the plans that God has for me, plans to give me a hope and a future, the good works He's prepared in advance for me to do, the race that Hebrews says that God has marked out for you. That's where our significance comes from, what God says and what God has for us. It's liberating, friends, because it doesn't depend on you. Be free this morning. So we have these, these two kingdoms. And Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and approve what God's pattern is, his good, pleasing, and perfect pattern. So we have these two kingdoms, and we're in both. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're actually of the kingdom. But although we have some light, we need to get more light. We need more. It's why we read the Bible, because it tells us God's pattern for living in the light. Yeah? Okay. Got it. Good. And when God shines his light, and by his grace we choose to change that part of our lives, John says, the darkness has not overcome the light. Christ's patterns come with Christ's power, and they are superior to the patterns of this world. And the moment you start to do them, the life of God flows, the blessing of God flows, the wholeness of God flows in all parts of your life. You can't get that by trying to borrow a pattern from the kingdom of darkness. So in ending, let me ask you some questions. John paints this lofty view of Jesus, the Word, who was at the beginning, He's God. All things were made through him. There's this incredible revelation that John has of who Jesus is. Friends, what is your and my revelation of God? Is it a high and lofty one that causes us to worship and reverence and awe? I asked this question on Friday night at the worship night. God is worthy. There's no doubt, right? But is he worthy to you? Is he worthy of your work? Do you see him as worthy to be worshipped. He is. The angels do it. But have you been able to see God in a way that causes you to, in wonder and amazement at his majesty, worship him? Is God, and Laney asked this question earlier, which is just God confirming it, is God, is Jesus the Lord of all parts of your life? Or are there some dark Rooms, maybe the spare room is dark because no one goes there very often. I don't know. Are there some dark corners in your living room where Christ's light has not yet shone? 
His, you're saved, you're a Christian, you, you come to life group, you come to church, you read the Bible, you pray, you love Jesus, but there's still some things in your life that, if you're honest, they patterned on the kingdom of darkness. Are there some areas today, and I'm sure we all have some, it's not an accusation, we, we're not perfect, right? Do we need Christ to shine in us? And then lastly, and this one comes with T's and C's, like most good uh, sales pitches. <laughs> Do you have some lack today? Because Jesus says, I am the source. So if you lack, don't run to something else because it's not going to satisfy you. It's not good enough. You were designed to run on God. So if you have some lack, you're lacking peace, you're lacking freedom, you're in bondage, you're whatever. If you have some lack, we must come to Christ. And I'm pretty sure that all of us have some lack somewhere because we're human, we're imperfect, we're frail, we're finite, we're limited. And we must come to Christ because He is our source. And He invites us, come all you who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. You won't find rest anywhere else <laughs> except in Christ. But here's the T's and C's, and listen carefully, friends. If you say, ah, oh, my marriage is not in a great place. There's some lack in my marriage. It just feels dull and dreary, like we've married for years, and there's like, there's no excitement or romance, whatever. If you are lacking in an area, I'm just using marriage as an example, I don't think God can bring His life and energize it again if you have a pattern that's from the kingdom of darkness. You can't say, Lord, my my sex life is terrible. Please breathe your life into that thing. But you watching pornography, you can't. God won't bless that thing. If you're stuck in the miry clay, he's not gonna rescue you to go back in the clay, in the sinking sand. So we need his light to shine on that part of darkness and we change the pattern that we're living in. And then if we have lack, we come to him and there's life and blessing. What about your finances? Lord, I'm in debt. Lord, I'm struggling. I can't make ends meet. Just another example. It's a common one. If you're in debt, but you can't manage your spending, you don't have self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, which is a kingdom thing, right? You don't have self-control. You can't manage your spending, you don't have a budget, you don't, know what you, you don't know what's coming in and what's going out. You're not living according to God's pattern for finances, tithing, generosity. There's no way God's going to get you out of this hole while you have a pattern from the other kingdom here. There's no ways. He's not going to give you your idol. He'll give you himself. <laughs> He's not going to give you an idol that you've made. God will, I believe, God won't bless us any part of your life unless we've let the light shine, dispel the darkness, change the pattern that we're living in. Because we're in two kingdoms. This is the hard part, guys. We're like, every day we hear stuff and we challenge because we know what God says and we're like, in between the two, but God says, let my light shine. And when you have the courage to change that thing, he helps you do it. His power is there. The result is life and fruit and wholeness. 
Can we stand? I want to pray for us. Father, this morning we, we come to your word, Father, knowing that it is the words of life. When, when thousands were leaving Jesus, he said to the 12, why aren't you also going? And Peter says, Lord, you have the words of life. Where can we go? And Jesus, we acknowledge that your words are life and light to all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. And I want to pray for all of us, Lord, this morning, if there's an area that you are not king, Father, would we submit it to you humbly today? Father, where there are areas of darkness or sin or whatever it might be, Lord, that we know actually this is not how God would have me do that thing or think that way or talk that way or whatever it is. Father, we ask now with a bit of fear, Lord, would you shine your lights, show us, and God, help us to put in place these kingdom patterns. Father, we want the life of God. We can't get it if we've got a different pattern in place. And I pray for us, Lord, wherever we have lack, Lord, help us to put in place the right patterns, but I pray, Father, that our first port of call would be Christ the source, Christ the living water, Christ the bread of life, Christ the way, the truth, Christ the resurrection, Christ the vine. Father, I pray, would you be our source of all life? Father, help us to understand and see that anything else will never satisfy nor sustain us in this life except God's life that comes through his word and his spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Please grab a cappuccino if you visit a free cappuccino if that's what you'd like. Um, if you'd like to be prayed for in any way, you're welcome to come forward. Some of our leaders will be in the front. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you in life group. Amen.